morning we're having together, tell you Jesus is in this place because he loves us, because he wants to be near, near to us. As we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And I love that about Jesus. I absolutely love it. When sometimes life can make you feel estranged from him. Decisions that you make can seemingly make you feel separated from him. Let me tell you and let me assure you, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. No matter what we do. Now that doesn't give us license and we just go and live how we want to live. No. But I'm telling you now, when we, when we make decisions that we later regret, when we say things that we wish we had held, when we do things that sometimes we, when looking back we feel ashamed of and we think, oh man, I'm in a terrible mess and I'm separated now. No, nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Isn't that fantastic? It really is. He gives us beauty for ashes. When our decisions and when, when our course leads us to a place of complete ashes and destruction, it's Jesus that comes in, in the moment where nobody else can come in, where everybody else has given up. It's Jesus that comes in and gives you beauty for ashes. There's nobody like him. Absolutely nobody like King Jesus. Hallelujah. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at um, how miracles occur in our lives. Last week, I began to talk about uh, four simple ingredients that you find in many of the miracles in the Bible. Four very simple little ingredients that seem to occur many times when you look at miracles happening in people's lives. Before that, we began to look at John chapter 8 and a statement that Jesus made to people one day when they were listening to him. He said this, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I don't know if you remember that. We talked about freedom and we said that freedom is this, power to rule over what's been ruling over you. Jesus doesn't want you to be ruled over any, by anything. Jesus doesn't want you to be controlled by an adverse power that's going to take your life down. Jesus wants to enable you to conquer. Jesus wants to enable you to be more than a conqueror. He wants to strengthen you for life. He wants to strengthen you to be able to reign in life over the circumstances of life so that you're never ruled over, but you're ruling in life. And he says... I will set you free so that you can rule over that which has been ruling over you. And we began to look at that and unpack that. We said that freedom, the freedom that Jesus gives is not a flimsy freedom. You don't feel free when we're all together in a place like this singing songs and then Monday arrives and the, the, the freedom won't stand up to the forces and the gales of life. No, this freedom that Jesus gives is miraculous. It's powerful. It's not flimsy. It doesn't break apart under the strains and the weights and the issues and the trials of life. It stands up. It's a force within you and it's miraculous. It really is. And that's the freedom that he wants each one of us to enjoy. 
That's the freedom that he wants each one of us to experience. It's absolutely miraculous. And I began to talk to you about illustrations that that simply picture what freedom is like. We talked about the little budgerigard that my mum bought me and my dad bought me when I was a little kid. I wanted a golden eagle. They bought me a nice little blue budgerigard called Joey. And I put him in a cage, he was in a cage, and one day I opened the cage and I wanted Joey to experience freedom. I wanted Joey to come out of the cage and fly in a larger experience. But Joey didn't want to come out of the cage even though the door was open. Because he'd grown quite comfortable with the confinement and very, very often... We get confined by life, we get restricted by life, and we think, do you know what? This is the sum total of my life, living within this confined space. This is the sum total of my personality. This is the sum total of my opportunities. This is the sum total of my experiences. And God says, no, in this season, and and, and, and forevermore, my friends, the cage is open. You don't have to live in the restrictions that you have been living in, that I've been living in, whether they be mental restrictions, physical restrictions. Jesus on the cross died. He paid the price for our sin. He paid the price to bring us out of confinement, and he opens the door, and he says, come on out, church. Come on out. I want you to fly. I want you to soar. I want you to experience the freedom that I have bought and paid for on the cross at the very core of your being. He doesn't want us to live a restricted life. I used another simple illustration about when we caught a little butterfly and the kids had it in a container. And it was in that container, frantically fighting the lid, frantically fighting to get out. But then suddenly it realized and it came to the conclusion that there was a greater power bearing down upon it that it couldn't break through and then it just went on the bottom of that container exhausted. And very often it's like that. We may have habits in our lives. We may have issues in our personality. We may have things that we've picked up. We don't know where we've picked them up from in our character. And you know what? We can't get beyond them. We try our hardest. We try our hardest not to get angry. I'm going to stay self-controlled this time. I'm going to be kind. And then suddenly life hits that new resolution. And out comes the old man. You think, forget being self-controlled. Forget being kind. Forget being patient. I'm going for this. I'm going to give as good as I get. I'm getting slapped on my right cheek. And I'm going to smack you on your left. Life can be like that. And we hit the lid, we hit the lid, we want to fly, we want to enter into all of the wonderful things that Jesus has, has, has given to us. But then we, we lie like that little butterfly, exhausted on the bottom of the container, the lid is on, and we can no longer go beyond the restrictions that have been placed upon us. And our own life becomes our worst enemy. We spoke about Paul in Romans 7, where he was in this same dilemma that many of us find ourselves in. Restricted, contained. The the, the good things I will to do, I can't do. The, The bad things that I'm trying to resist. The temptation that I don't want to be pulled towards anymore. I find myself running towards it, jumping in the mud and wallowing like a pig. Ever been there? Ever been there? Of course you have. Because you're a human being. And we fight. 
and we, we, we try to push through and we try to break through the person that we've become. And we find it hard and then suddenly you come to the end of yourself like Paul did in Romans 7. And you say, oh wretched man that I am. Awesome place. Great confession, church. Great confession. Oh wretched man that I am. I look at my character. I look at the person that I've become, the decisions that I so easily make. I want to be a good person, but you know what? I've got to be honest with you. I'm doing my best to maintain all of this, but I can't. Great place to be at. Because you are about to see the power of Jesus Christ come into your life and enable you to live a life that you could never live without him. It's an awesome place to be at. And then suddenly, God rips the the lid off Paul's life. And this exhausted little life suddenly gets power injected into it. He goes into Romans 8 and he says this, I can fly. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all of those personal pronouns that were littered in Romans 7, I, me, and my, you don't find in Romans 8. Now this man is brand new. Now this man has discovered the power of God's Holy Spirit. And he's saying the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. The, the lid is off and this man has gone into another dimension and life couldn't beat him. Life couldn't conquer him. You could put him in a prison. You could whip his back. You could, you could throw him, you know, off, off and stone him and, and put him in the middle of an ocean and he's hanging on a plank. You could shipwreck him. Nothing could defeat him. Nothing could beat him because now he was flying and soaring. That's the dimension of life that Jesus is talking about when he spoke those words. A simple, small, little sentence is packed with infinite power, packed with life, packed with fullness for you and me, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. It's like the bird coming out of the confinement and flying and discovering the beauty of a larger environment. There's a larger environment for you to live in church, whether whether you're a young person or an old person. If there's breath in your body, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. There's a wonderful newness of life that's ready for you and waiting for you. Just come on out of the cage. Come on out of the cage. The lid's off. I said to you that God's hand goes into that cage and gently brings us out. I'm telling you now, he's bringing you into situations of life. And it's like his hand going into the cage. And you'll fight coming out. You won't want to come out. You'll dance around the cage trying to avoid the hand. Let him bring you out. Let him bring you out. Because you're going to fly. Let him bring you out. It's going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to feel vulnerable. He's going to put you in situations that you you once never would have trod in. But now you've got to tread on those things. And you've got to come on out. You've got to give the little butterfly that's exhausted on the bottom of the container a little help sometimes. And we did. We did. He rested on our hands for, for a minute or so. And then suddenly he got his strength back and he was gone. He was gone. There's nothing more beautiful than seeing a life flourish. There's nothing more beautiful than seeing a life reach its full potential. There's nothing more beautiful and more magnificent and more glorious to God than a life becoming everything that he's destined it to become. God takes no pleasure in you strutting your stuff in a little chicken pen. You weren't born to be a little chicken. 
You were born to fly and soar like an eagle on the thermals of God and know the wonders of his life. You really were. And that's what's behind this, this simple statement that Jesus made. And we have tried to illustrate that very simply by little stories. He wants us to experience a new level of freedom in him. And for us, each one of us, it will be different. For each one of us, it will mean different things. But it's wonderful and it's exciting. Four simple things, four little ingredients that seem to occur in every miracle in order for freedom to take place is this. Firstly, there has to be an acknowledgement of need. You have to acknowledge that you're in need. We said last week, you know, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he assists the humble. Imagine having God assist you. Do you want God to assist you or resist you? I think it's an easy answer. You don't have to deliberate long in order to give the answer, oh God, assist me, please don't resist me. Assist me. But you have to acknowledge that you have a need. So many people, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. We put on a good show. And even before God, we, 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 we mock up this life that is so far removed from where it really is. No, we have to acknowledge our need. We have to acknowledge that we're in need. And suddenly you find that not only do you need to acknowledge your need, you need to confess your faith. There needs to be a new expression of faith in your mouth. And then you move from that confession and you find your life moving obediently to receive something from God. And then there's a demonstration of power. Four simple things in a miracle. An admission of need, confession of faith, an act of obedience and a demonstration of power. And we see this all over the Bible. All over the Bible. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. To see people just come humbly before God. Oh God, I'm in need. Oh God, I acknowledge that I've come to the end of myself. There's a greater power working against me than I have the ability to control. I've been ruled over by something that I can't get ruled over. When you, when you admit your need before God, you're at a very important place. But admitting that you have a need isn't the only place where you need to be. I want to show you this this morning. I referred to Matthew chapter 9, verse 18 to 26 last week. I'm going to read it again, and we're going to see these four simple, simple ingredients in a miracle in two people's lives that we referred to last week. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him. So his, and so did his disciples. And suddenly, a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may but just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And when the woman was made well... And the woman was made well from that very hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. 
But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. Two amazing stories. They happened about two people that were bound. These two people were not free. They were bound by circumstances. They were bound by life. And they were being restricted. And things were closing down fast. Certainly for Jairus. And for the woman with the issue of blood. She, would, she had been battling with a history that she could not overcome. Two people that were not free. Jairus comes to Jesus. And the Bible tells us as we've read. He was a ruler. He was a ruler. He had authority. He knew how to flex his muscles and how to manipulate circumstances and how to do things with his authority to get a job done. But the day came where death visited his door and took his daughter from him and he had no rule. He had no authority. He had no ability to go beyond what life had done to his daughter. So he runs to Jesus and he worships him. The Bible says in everything give thanks because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. It may be hard for you. It may be difficult for you. It may seem as if everything's gone and dead for you. But I'm telling you now the will of God for you in Christ Jesus is to give thanks. In the midst of the circumstances. In the midst of the darkness. In the midst of the defeat and the chaos and and the oppression and the difficulty. Give thanks. And and, and Jairus comes to Jesus and he worships him. He begins to kiss his feet. He begins to prostrate himself because this ruler knew that he had no power to do what he needed to be done in his home. I said, Jesus, lay your hand on her. And we looked at it last week simply. Sure, those, you know, the people in that home had put their hand on that little girl. She was 12 years of age. And they they had put their hand on her to try and revive her. And it's, it's a simple message of, you know what? We can do all that we can do and get nowhere. Our hands have no power within them, friends. It doesn't matter what the flashy preachers tell you. Let me tell you, there's only one that has power, rule, and authority. There's only one that has authority in heaven and on earth, and his name is Jesus. I'm telling you. Don't put your faith in man. Don't put your faith in, 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 in any person other than Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we're to trust each other and have relationship with each other and build friendships. But when it comes to this stuff, let me tell you, there is only one name under heaven by which man can be saved. And it's the name of Jesus. And Jairus recognizes that. And Jesus is on a journey then with Jairus. He admits that he has a need. His, his, his little daughter is dead. His confession of faith is that, Jesus, I need your hand to touch her body in order for her to, to live. There's a confession of faith that's very strong and real. And then suddenly, as Jesus is following this man, there's a woman that reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. She's had an issue of blood for 12 years. Now again, you see the same simple four ingredients occurring simultaneously in her life. There was an admission of need. 
She knew that she was in need. She had a 12-year-long history of problem of blood leaving her body. She had no control over it. There was a power ruling over her that she had no rule over. 12 years, an issue of blood. 12 years, loss of life. She went everywhere to, to every man. She spent all that she had, and at the end of the 12 years, she grew worse. You see, it's no good just admitting that we have a need. This woman knew that she had a need. She did everything that she could. She threw all of her time, all of her energy, all of her investment, and all of her strength to overcome her need. And at the end of all of that, the Bible says she grew worse. Let me tell you, you can, you can try and fight life outside of Jesus all you want. You can try and conquer your addiction. You can try and shape your character so it's nice, neat, and tidy. You can try and do everything you want outside of Jesus. And at the end of it all, you will grow worse. You will grow worse. There is only one. There is only one that says, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. There is only one that can say, I am the one that can set you free. And when I set you free, you will be free indeed. Not, not free, not free in, in theory, but free in experience. Jesus. She grew worse. She grew worse. Paul grew worse. Romans 7. He grew worse. He tried to obey the law. He tried to do what he could do. He tried to conquer the sin that was so prevalent within him, raging in his body. He tried to do good. And yet at the end of it, he ended up a wretched man. What's that? Growing worse, friends. Doing all you can to fight life. Doing all you can to improve life. But if Jesus isn't in the equation, you will grow worse. You will become a wretch. You really will. But the wonderful thing is, after she realized that, that she had to move on from admitting that she had a need, she, she, she developed a confession of faith. She heard about Jesus. She said, if I may but just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. Faith was alive. She began to say something new for the first time. She turned away from the 12 years of fruitless practice, of fruit, fruitless pursuit, of, of fruitless work. And she began to, to, to foster this faith that was inside her. And in her home where she was banished to, she began to say, I've got to get to Jesus. I've got to touch the hem of his garment. My answer is there. If I touch him, I shall be made whole. Jesus now became the center of her world. And the day came where Jesus was passing and she goes out. And the Bible says she came from behind him. She didn't have a big entrance. She didn't have a big entourage. There was no advertisement of her coming. She was hidden in the crowd, crawling on the dust, reaching out just to touch the hem of his garment. And she touched it. And suddenly, 12 years of history, 12 years of a deteriorating life cycle came to an end. No more issue. She'd been made whole. Are you battling with an issue that you cannot get control over? Jesus is the answer. 
He is. He is. Jesus is the one that's going to set you free. He's going to put his hand on that issue and he's going to make you whole. He really is. The moment that she touched him, there's a demonstration of God's power. The act of obedience was this. She pressed through the restrictions of the law. She pressed through the limitations of what held her. And she went and found Jesus and touched the hem of his garment. And suddenly there was a demonstration of power. And now her life was changed. It's an amazing picture of what happens to us when we, when we receive Christ as Savior. It really is. Paul put it this way. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The old 12-year life cycle of going to man, thinking that she can get answer from man and resolution for the, 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 the situation that was occurring in her body. All of that history uh, and all of that cycle of fruitless effort suddenly came to an end. It was old. It was gone. It was passed away. Behold, all things became new in this woman's life. And on the word of Jesus, he said, your faith has made you whole. And that's what happens when we receive Christ as Savior. It really is. All things suddenly, instantaneously pass away. Behold, all things become new, brand new, brand new, new creatures in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Do you know, sometimes we come to church, and even in our homes, we look at the Bible, and we see this amazing menu this amazing menu. And on the menu is the most exquisite food. On the menu, the menu represents the most, the most exquisite meals available to everyone. And yet very often we just hold the menu. We look at the menu. We drool over the menu. And we, we wish that we could have the menu. We could have the meal that the menu represents. We wish that we could have the life that's spoken about in the scriptures. But very often we retreat and we back off. And whilst we look at the menu, we realize that there's no reality in it for us because maybe we can't afford it. Well, let me tell you. The price has been paid. You can have any meal on the menu that you want. Any meal. Any meal. In fact, you can order as many meals as you want for every day of your life, for the rest of your life. The menu, the goods on the menu are all there for you. They've been purchased and bought by the blood of Jesus. Order any meal. Anything is on the menu that you need. Jesus wants to give you a meal that you need. Whether it's healing, whether it's wholeness, whether it's deliverance, whether it's a sound mind, whether it's relief from fear and depression. The meal, the menu, is all there for, you, for us to receive. The question isn't, can we afford it? The question is, how big's your appetite? How big's your appetite, church? This woman realized that she had, she, she had ignored a menu that was available to her. She had gone down a road for 12 years 
eating food that wasn't fitting for her life. And, and as a result of that, in, in the belief of that, she grew worse. And then suddenly she, she heard about another menu. She heard that there was another meal available for her. And she took hold of it. And, and she didn't question whether she could afford it. Her appetite of faith was huge. Absolutely huge. If I may but just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. If I can get to him, if I can do this, my life is going to change forever. Uh, her appetite, her, un- her, her hunger was huge, absolutely huge. And she was undeterred. She moved through every barrier, every obstacle, and she would not back off or back down for any law, for any ceremony, for any tradition. She wasn't allowed to go out in public. She had to publicly cry out, unclean, unclean. Before everybody, she didn't on that day. She went straight to Jesus, grabbed a hold of his garment, and 12 years of history was over and gone in one moment. In one moment, a huge appetite for life change. That's what faith gives you. A huge appetite for freedom. A huge appetite to say, do you know what? I'm not going to live in this restriction. I'm not going to live in this limitation any longer. There's more for me. There's more beyond where I am. God can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can ask or think. That's on the menu, friends. It really is. You've just got to have a big appetite for it. And start to believe it. And start to accept it. And start to eat it. God doesn't want any of us just to hold the menu in our hand. And for us never to get a meal at the end of the menu. God wants you to hold the menu in your hand. And point with confidence and boldness and say, do you know what? Today, I'm going to have mountain moving faith for breakfast. I'm going to speak to that mountain. That's going to be my meal today. And do you know what? I'm going to eat that down and that mountain that's before me. That obstacle that's in my way is going to be cast up, uprooted and thrown into the sea. He wants you to hold the menu. He doesn't want the menu just to remain on the pages of the Bible. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, yes and forever. There's a meal for you today. What is it that you need? You can have it. You can have it. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. You can have it. Little whistle from my phone then. Time's up. When your phone starts whistling, time is up. The menu is huge. Miracles, he'll do. Freedom, he'll give. Joy instead of mourning. He takes off the spirit of heaviness. It's on the menu. You've been wearing a spirit of heaviness. He'll take that spirit of heaviness and he'll give you a garment of praise. It's on the menu. Let's never just look at the menu and drool over the menu and and salivate over the menu. Do you know what? And I've done this. I've done this in restaurants. Me and Faye have done it. And I'm sure we've all done it because of restrictions on budgets and whatever. You look at your resources 
And then you, 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 you look at all of the, the list of wonderful food on the menu. And your eye, I don't know if your eye is like mine, my eye always goes to the most expensive. It's just a, a psychological thing that we do. We go down there and we see that, that meal that seems so wonderful and beautiful. And we'd enjoy it so much, but then we look what we have, what we've got. And we think, well, we've got to pay for the four kids. We've got to pay for ourselves, so we can't go for that, that particular meal. And that's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely fine. But when you bring that kind of thinking over into the kingdom, that's where we get it all wrong. We haven't got to bring that, that thinking over to the kingdom. Let me give you another little example. I've said it lots of times. It's on the menu. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do for you. Ask anything in my name, Jesus said, and I will do it. Yeah, but Lord, how can I pay you back? You can't. What can I do for you? No, it's not what you can do for me, Dave. It's what I've done for you, son. But Lord, can I serve you? No, Dave, I've not come to be, to be served. I've come to serve you, Dave. No, Lord. I can't allow you to wash my feet. Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, I, you have no part with me because this isn't about what you can do for me, Peter. This isn't about you bringing your inferior menu into my kingdom, Peter. This is about my menu, Peter. And my menu is come sit at the table. I'll provide for you. I'll give you everything that's on the menu and I'll cook you a meal that you'll never, ever forget. What is it you need, church? What is it you need? More money. More money. And a mansion. Well, do you know what? There's many people that have had more money and a mansion. Do you know what? Let me, let me, let me, let me instruct you and help you. There's many people that have had more money and a mansion. And it's been the destruction of their life. Jesus said... What does it profit if a man gains the whole world and forfeits his right to become a child of God? My God, we don't need to look at money, friends. And I'm not getting off at you, Cain. But let me tell you, we need to take our eyes off money and we need to put them on the King of Kings. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If we needed more money, I'm telling you now, God would drop it on us. You don't need more money. You need peace and security and love. And Jesus is Lord in your heart. Just a thought came. Yeah. But I'm telling you, Jesus, Jesus is the menu. Jesus is the meal. And that's what we need. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may need prayer this morning. We're going to lay hands. You may need to be prayed for. Feel free to come, I'll pray. You may be sick in your body. Do you know what? Jesus. It's only Jesus that can set you free from that sickness. My hand is as weak and as broken as any other hand. It can do nothing. But it's a symbol to join with your faith to help you and to do what he's instructed. I don't know why he said lay hands on the sick and they will recover. 
I wouldn't lay my hand on anybody, but I'm telling you now, I'm just obeying what he said. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. I've got no faith in my hand, friend, but I've got every faith in what he has declared that he will do. If you want to come for prayer, you can. Maybe an area of freedom you need in your life. Maybe opportunities. You may need, you may feel that you're restricted in that cage or enclosed in that container. God is saying, I'm going to set you free and bring you out. As the music plays, as we worship God, feel free to come and we'll pray for you. Or you may need baptism in the Holy Spirit. You may not yet be speaking in tongues. We'll pray for you too. Amen.